Good morning and welcome to our service today, the 20th of June 2021. 
This should be the last of our online services and we're going to continue and finish our series on people of prayer. Today, we're going to be looking at Stephen and the challenges that he faced in the face of adversity and how he still, through all the difficulties, still put his faith into God, still believed in his Saviour, Jesus Christ. Despite being sentenced to death through stoning, he never lost his faith. We're going to think ourselves a little bit about how adversity has affected us and I'll share some of my thoughts about challenges and how faith has helped me and David Wickersham will be coming later on to speak to us more. We'll be also using a series of other verses from the Bible to help support our progress through looking and thinking about this area. So we're going to move on to that shortly. The first of our passages this morning is taken from 2 Chronicles 14. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we can rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. For it is when we have faith in our Lord through our Saviour Jesus Christ, that when we call on his name, that he will answer. He will stand by our sides through everything. For our God is a great God. Let's sing when I call on your name.
Hebrews 13 verse 6 says, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? For when we have faith in our God, when we stand together with him, who can come against us? He is a God who can create many miracles, which were witnessed through his son on this earth. Water you turned into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There is no one like you. And when there is God on our side, who can stand against us? Let's sing, Water You Turned Into Wine.
Psalm 28 verse 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and my song I praise him. Lord, I come to you. Let my heart be changed, renewed, flowing from the grace that I find in you. And when I know that grace, my heart will soar like an eagle, rising above. Because I know, Lord, that you are my strength, you are my shield, and in you I can trust at all times. Let's sing, Lord, I come to you.
I wonder if you've ever really thought what it must have been like for Stephen at that situation. As a psychiatrist, we often talk about sympathy versus empathy. Sympathy is the feeling bad or feeling sorry for others, whereas empathy is more to do with trying to understand from their own position what it would have felt like, what their experiences were like at the time. And I hope that nobody's ever been in that kind of position where they've been sentenced to something because of their faith and in Stephen's situation, sentenced to die. Not just sentenced to die, but in such a painful method as well. It's one of those situations where it's very hard to put yourself into that place and know what it must have been like yet. What we can learn is how he, despite all of that, put his faith in God. He trusted that his saviour would be with him no matter what. Even if he were to die, that he would, because of the resurrected Lord, have new life. And that's quite a powerful thing to do. And is it something that we could all ourselves say that we have been willing to go with? I certainly can't say that I've been in that situation, not that extreme, but I have been in difficult situations. And some of you will have heard my testimony in other talks that I've given in the past. With my work, there's been numerous times because I felt like I've been the only one doing this. And 20 years ago, when I first started on some of my journey, there wasn't anybody else in the UK. And it was very much that you were on your own and you had to put your faith in the only person who was there. And at that time, it was God. And by praying and asking for help, if this was your will, guide me, open doors, and trusting that that would happen, that we are now in a situation where things are starting to change. But in those periods of desperation, when you were in the middle of the journey, it felt very difficult. I was fortunate that eventually my prayers were answered and things moved on and things seemed to be improving. And I'm sure there are other people who will have faced their own difficulties. It's something which we can only take lessons from. And here, in the most difficult of situations, we can look to Stephen and see how his faith helped him through the most challenging of times. And it goes back to that sympathy versus empathy. Whilst we may be sympathetic to his plight, can we really empathise? Can the lessons of our own lives help us to know what it must be like to put faith in God when it seems like there is nothing worth considering and there is no place to put our faith but it is in those times that we have to have the greatest trust in our Lord and talking about prayer and intercessions I'm going to now hand over to Joshua who's going to do our prayers of intercessions and help us think about the rest of the world and hopefully we can empathize with the plights and the difficulties that they may be facing as well I'll hand over to Joshua to do prayers of intercession Let us pray. Father, we pray for your world and especially the situation with Israel and Palestine. We know you are sovereign and in control. And as Israel has a new government, we pray that leaders will not cause further divisions, but your love may be shown to those who know you there and a peaceful solution may be found. We know that we are all sinful and that the situation is complex and difficult and we pray your hand will be seen there. We also pray for the recent G7 summit 
We pray that world leaders will work for the good of the people that have elected them. We pray for unity on issues such as climate change and pray that you will use these decisions to further your good plans for the earth. As restrictions begin to lift, we pray that people will continue to be sensible and responsible. As the last lifting of restrictions is delayed, we pray people will be patient and know your love and peace. You are sovereign in all things and we pray we can remember this submitting to the authorities you have put in place and acting in the interests of all those around us. We also pray for the vaccine rollout and that the pace of distribution can continue and those who need it will be able to get it. We also pray for BRBC. We pray that we can be a light for you. You are the light in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome you. I pray that some of this light will be seen in your church in Horsham. People who don't know you will see you through the actions and outreach of the church and may come to join in your kingdom. I also pray for the leaders of this church and that they can faithfully lead your church to follow you faithfully. You have a plan for us and we pray we will follow that plan. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Our Bible reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 7 and starting at verse 54. But that drops us into the middle of a rather difficult situation. Stephen had been falsely accused of blasphemy against Moses and God and promptly dragged before the court of the Sanhedrin to answer the charges. When asked whether or not those accusations were in fact true, in his defence he took them through the history of the Jewish race from Abraham right through to the current day. And when he mentioned that they had resisted the prophets and killed them, resisted the Holy Spirit, and finally killed by crucifixion the righteous one that God had sent to them, they really got steamed up. And that's where we start our reading this morning in verse 54 of Acts chapter 7. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep.
In our series on people of prayer, you might be surprised to discover that today we are studying Stephen. Surprised because although Stephen was a devout man, and one we can assume was given to prayer, we only know of him praying a single prayer of just two sentences. But before we consider why that one prayer alone makes Stephen worthy of study, we ought to revise a little of his background. It was in the very early days of the church that the apostles were asked to intervene over a simple, practical matter about distribution of food. But wanting to focus on prayer and the ministry, the apostles turned over the responsibility to seven people. The person specification being that they should be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Stephen was chosen along with six others and as a part of commissioning Stephen, the apostles prayed for him and laid hands on him. Stephen was variously described as being a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, full of God's grace and power, and performing great wonders and signs among the people. But opposition from members of the synagogue led to Stephen being arrested, and despite an eloquent defence, he was dragged from the city and put to death by stoning. He became the first Christian martyr. There are, it should be said, a number of similarities between the circumstances leading to Stephen's execution and the death of Jesus upon the cross. Both were arrested and tried by the temple hierarchy. Both were charged with blasphemy. Both, both were accused by false witnesses. And the case against both of them featured what they had said about the future relevance of the temple. But what do we find most remarkable? That he was wise, filled with the Spirit, personally commissioned by the apostles, that he was the first martyr. I think the most remarkable thing about Stephen was indeed his prayer. It was whilst they were stoning him that seeing a vision of Jesus, Stephen meekly chose to embrace his circumstances, praying simply, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And at the point of martyrdom, he prayed for only one thing, just one thing that he believed needed urgent attention before he departed this world. On his knees, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And it's here, of course, that we are hit by the last and most striking similarity with the death of Jesus. It was submitting to the cross that Jesus had cried, Forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. The death of Jesus and of Stephen stand in stark contrast to other events recorded elsewhere in the Bible. In the book of Judges, we read about Samson, who before his death pleaded, please God, give me my strength just once more, so that with one blow I can get even with the Philistines for putting out my eyes. So it was that Samson pushing with all his might against the pillars of the building, 
where five Philistine kings and 3,000 others were jeering at him, brought down the building, crushing and killing all of them, kings, men, women and children. And so the Israelites celebrated Samson for destroying more Philistines in his death than he had managed to kill during his entire life. It's a perfect picture of a merciless judge bent on wrath and vengeance. At the other end of the Bible, in Revelation 6, we find another scene. Here we see a vision of the martyrs crying out, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you avenge our blood? Here, of course, is a scene portraying perfect justice. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. But it was in the death of Jesus and his first martyr that a radically different pattern was emerging. Jesus had been able to summon legions of angels for his deliverance. Rather, he chose to embrace the cross knowing that it was his father's will that he should lay down his life. And he cried out for forgiveness for those responsible. It was Jesus, after all, who taught us, you have heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So Stephen followed the example of Jesus. Though a worker of wonders and signs, he chose to resign himself to his circumstances with the words, Lord, receive my spirit, and then praying that those who put him to death should be forgiven. There are aspects of forgiveness that are hard to understand. For example, how do we reconcile forgiveness with justice? If the forgiven are unrepentant, is justice thwarted? In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus told of a parable concerning a servant whose substantial debt was forgiven. But when the servant refused to forgive another who owed him little, his forgiveness was revoked and he was punished and sent to jail. Jesus warned, That is how my Father in heaven will treat every one of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So do we forgive that we may be forgiven? Or do we forgive because we are forgiven? I can't imagine any reason why my wife or children would ever need my forgiveness. But if my forgiveness were ever asked for, I'd readily grant absolution because I love them dearly and their well-being is of paramount importance to me. But this, of course, is the level of care and compassion that we see in Stephen for those who were putting him to death. And he wasn't praying through gritted teeth, he wasn't cynically offering forgiveness that he might be forgiven. It was surely in that moment 
Stephen was overwhelmed by the dreadful peril his persecutors were facing and in awe of what they were calling down upon themselves. So it was that spontaneously from his very nature he begged their forgiveness out of love for them. It turns out that it's not that we are forgiven because we forgive, just as we love him because he first loved us. So we forgive because through his forgiveness, we as his children have come to share in his divine nature. Someone who was a recipient of Stephen's forgiveness, Saul of Tarsus, was later to summarize it another way. Paul was to write, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other, and if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. When the music fades and all is stripped away, then I simply come Longing just to bring Something that's a word That will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required Search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus.